0: Welcome back to the Baropolis podcast and as you can tell by our grins there may have been a certain result that has gone in our favour. It's been a while of course since we recorded a podcast, an awful lot's gone on. There's obviously been another game of course that being Watford, we had transfer deadline day and of course last night we also did have the derby that's not a derby but might actually be a derby if Sunderland ever managed to win one. There's obviously an awful lot to talk about. Nathan, before I ask how you are, I think the fact that you have a Brazilian flag wrapped around your neck pretty much sums up that you're actually ready for a bit of a carnival atmosphere, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I am. It's it's just a bit of a relief to finally win a game and to do it against them a lot is just fantastic. Um, yeah, we've got a lot to get into, um, a bit of a low from last week with Watford and the transfer deadline day, but by God are we feeling on a high now, and yeah, the next games can't come soon enough, so let's get into discussing the last week.
0: Yeah, let's do it Nathan, so of course with anything, like anything in life, sometimes you have to have the low and make that high feel even higher I suppose really, Um We sort of had two really last week, didn't we? Um, We'll start with Watford. Uh, I don't think we want to spend an awful amount of time on it because, I mean, given the result and and given what's happened since then. But just in terms of the game, Nathan, obviously, on Sky, um, going up against a Watford team who have got... You know, a handful of really, really standout players. I think we knew that. I think everyone in the championship knows that. When you when you go and play Watford, the likes of Ismail Saw, the likes of João Pedro, you know, I think before uh, the actual game, obviously in the previous podcast, we said they might not even be playing. They may have got moves. Obviously, it turned out that they didn't get their moves away from Watford, and of course, they both played, and uh, it's fair to say they both affected the game heavily.
1: Yeah, they did. Um, João Pedro in particular um, on, on Tuesday night was was arguably the best player on the pitch and from what I saw probably staples himself as the best player in the division um, from his performance just impacting the game from all over the place dropping deep, picking the ball up in, in neat pockets, playing nice one-twos and his movements incredible as well. So it was always going to be a tough test and to go one nil up early on it was it was very nice um i did make the trip on a tuesday night however many miles that is on a tuesday night i'm not too sure but it was a long trip and getting that early goal gives you that that bit of hope early on um
0: and especially because of the goal scorer as well nathan
1: Yeah, of course. Rodrigo making his full league debut. And yeah, he pops up with a goal inside four minutes. Worked down that left-hand side from Giles. I I mean, initially I felt like he was going to be fouled. um, The right wing back, Kamara, did push him. um, But then eventually did let Giles past. Giles beat his marker, crossed the ball in. And Backman made a little bit of a hash of it by coming out and, and vacating his position on the goal line. But Rodrigo was there to nod it in and put us 1-0 up. And I felt that we played quite OK in the opening 20 minutes um, up until Watford's main men grew into the game. João Pedro started getting getting a grip of the game, getting on the ball a lot more. And that that equaliser was always going to come, and and it did. Good work by Joao Pedro on that on that left-hand side for Watford, coming inside, giving it to Saar, and then, yeah, he's he's a lethal finisher, isn't he? He sat Alex Mowat down and put it in the corner, and that was 1-1, and set us into half-time. Quite, a, quite an okay half for me. I know Chris Wilder didn't really feel the same, but I felt like it was an okay first half.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think I agree, to be honest. You know, we probably, in fairness, did enough in the first half to go in definitely in the leads. We had chances. Um, I think Riley McGree sort of had his uh, annual game by game sort of chance that falls to him on the edge of the box. It <laughs> never seems to quite execute it properly. Um, and that's from outside the box, of course, you know, he, he certainly executed a, a chance last night, which we'll get into a little bit later on. But as you say, yeah, with the quality of Watford, they're always going to have chances. Yeah, I don't think anyone realistically thought we were going to limit them to sort of no chances. And, you know, once we'd gone, gone into the lead, uh, sorry, uh, that would be that. Um, I think there were always going to be nervy moments. And of course, as you say, it's a great finish from Saar possibly you could question you know mawet dives in a little bit early but i think in fairness it's just great trickery from and great composure as well and he rolls into the far corner um and yeah it's a it's a goal which you know pretty much obviously prior to the uh, deadline day um given the game and you thought with moments like that that Another Premier League club would come sniffing and and after watching that game, probably think, yeah, we'll take a chance on him. I'm not even sure it would be a chance because it would probably end up being something like a £30 fee. But yeah, again, uh, a long-winded way of pretty much saying he proved his quality. Um, Second half, in fairness, comfortable in the game, really. Um, okay, Watford probably had more of the possession but didn't really create an awful lot. and actually i think chris wilder well later on sort of this week described it as almost a perfect away performance and i don't think it was almost perfect i think it would have been a a fair result if it had finished as a draw um but the, there were some really good signs there was the massive chance for matt clark um from a set piece in the second half he obviously finds himself unmarked in the Watford box and just doesn't really head the ball into the ground, which you're sort of looking for someone to do from that range. Uh, Instead, try to generate as much power as possible in Batman sort of saves it quite centrally in his goal. Um, And to be honest, even after that, you thought if there's going to be any winner, it was, you know, it, it was in the balance really... You know, Vicarage uh, Vicarage Road is a difficult place to go and I, I I would have been quite happy with the point and then, obviously, disaster strikes. Mm, near enough the last kick of the game, isn't it? um It all starts through initially a Middlesbrough counter... Well, attempted counter-attack. Uh, Rodders, as much as I love him, I'm not sure trying to lob the keeper on the volley from... His own half is the best idea. Um, with probably about 30 seconds to go in the game. But we don't want to knock that out of him, I suppose. I know Chris Wilder said the same, but I kind although I was a little bit frustrated at the time, I kind of loved the fact that he even tried it. Um, and then obviously Watford get the ball back, pull it long. I think what uh sorry, not Watmore. Duncan Watmore definitely wasn't that far back. Um, Paddy McNair misses the initial tackle. Um, I think it's Mario Gaspar that picks the ball up, gets to the edge of the box, tries to hit a strike goalwards. It takes a horrible deflection off baller. Dyke Steel, in fairness, can't really do a lot. I think the deflection off ball has killed him, to be honest. It falls into the path of Bale, of Watford, and he took it away. I mean, I had that sick feeling in my stomach, but I can't imagine after your journey to Watford, how bad that must have felt.
1: Yeah, um a bit of a, a typical Borough moment for you. Um yeah. just some sum the game up really um Borough play really well away from home That a team that are gonna be up there as one of the bookies favourites to to go up. And before the game, to be offered a point, I'd have been very, very pleased with that. And for 93 minutes, it looks like that point's in the bag. And you're thinking, oh, well, get back on this bus now. Five-hour trip back home. It's it's not going to be that bad with a point away. away, It's such a difficult place to go in the division. And then, yeah, the the (laughs) ball... The ball ricochets and finds itself to to Watford's forward with, I mean, he must be eight yards out and probably even less. Yeah, probably even less and, and with a full goal to aim at Wilder said he couldn't miss and he didn't, tucked it away. Um it's one of them football stories. Um on the night it was Watford's. 100th anniversary of Vicarage Road with a, a fireworks display before the game and it was it was almost written in the stars that they were meant to have a fantastic result on that night and yeah, they, they got just that. Um, a bit fortunate, you could see that the players were massively deflated at the end of the game um, and a lot of the fans were as well. But yeah it's it's not the end of the world we had a week from then well six days to rest and recuperate for a big game against Sunderland on the Monday night and yeah we'll get on to that in a minute once we discuss uh, a transfer deadline day in that in that gap between the games which didn't offer all too much, did it?
0: No, it didn't, it didn't. Obviously, um, in the previous podcast, you might be thinking, well, you know, they they weren't sure whether they were gonna do a sort of uh, transfer roundup, a separate podcast, and then sort of do the Sunderland preview. And I think to be quite frank, really, deadline did not the stuffing out of both of us. I think we went into it with so much anticipation, obviously, Thinking back, I think potentially from where we left it, on Yeka Frank on Yeka of Brentford was pretty much set to sign. Um, that one looked close, there was still sort of the whole up in the air chance that Jorgen Strand Larsen we may revisit that. Uh, of course, there was the supposed unnamed bid for Emil Reese, uh, Jacobson. There was a lot of things up in the air, a lot of excitement, a real feeling of after Watford is such a low that we could, you know, get things back on track and have a bit of a positive end of the transfer window and, and really get things uh, rolling again. And in fact, it was, well, it was the complete opposite, Nathan. Um, after Matt Clark, no more incomings for Middlesbrough. And yeah, I don't think there's any clearer way of putting it than just a massive, massive disappointment. Of course, Jorgen Strand-Larsen heads off to Celta of Vigo. Um, Emil Reese before even Deadline did, but I believe. Ryan Lloyd sort of said he's not going anywhere. So that was another across off the list, of course. Then Norgard gets injured at Brentford. And that means that the Onyeka move uh, falls through. And then actually, I think there was one bid for a, a Bordeaux striker who that sort of come out of nowhere on the morning of deadline day obviously didn't materialize and we we didn't. I'm not so sure whether there was such a high value bid because it sort of come out of nowhere and then just disappeared and there was no more said about it. Um. But yeah, it was. It was a, a typical Middlesbrough deadline day. You go into it full of promise and by 11 o'clock at night, you're sort of thinking, where's this gone wrong?
1: Yeah, it was a very strange day. Um, we kind of thought that there'd be at least one that had come through the door.
0: One was um, always
1: the minimum that everyone thought, to
0: be honest. I mean, we were adamant there'd probably be two or three, but one one was always going to be the minimum
1: yeah and to have pretty much zero links on deadline day um it was it was very strange really uh josh onema was one name mentioned as a possible loan move which would have given us another option in midfield but instead a move to west brom was was more on the cards and I don't know. I don't even know if that one's actually gone through still. No, it didn't. I mean,
0: we didn't get him, but neither did West Brom. They actually had deals for um, Alzate at Brighton and Onomar agreed. I believe Onomar actually had his medical and they managed to sign neither of them. So um, whoever was doing the paperwork in that deal probably is uh, looking for a new job at the moment. Um, But yeah, I mean, as you say, there was the Onomar link and after that, and that link must have been looking back on deadline day, maybe 11, half 11, 12, probably midday. And literally from that point onwards, there was one piece of transfer news and that was obviously the departure. Um, of Josh Coburn on loan uh, to Bristol Rovers, um, obviously a, a good move for, for Josh Coburn, I think as Wilder's covered he's going to do his recovery and then head out on loan and link up with Joey Barton of all people which uh, should be an interesting uh, match and a, a real learning curve for Josh Coburn but in terms of incomings Nathan, as you say there was just nothing in from my point, I know from a lot of other fans' point, there was a real, real disappointment, I, I must admit. I, I Obviously, thankfully, we got the result against Sunderland and, and that's pert me back up. But at five past 11 on Thursday night, I was really, really not happy at all. I was not a happy bunny.
1: Yeah, it's, it's just that, that deadline day sort of feeling. I think everyone wants their club to do a bit of business on deadline day <clears throat> just because it's built up to be the final day of the window. All that business is meant to happen late on. And unfortunately for Middlesbrough, nothing materialised. But if you look at the window on a whole, I think it has been a success. Um, just looking through the department's... Goalkeeping department has no doubt improved. Um we kept Luke Daniels, which I think was probably up in the air last at the end of last season, whether he'd stay or not, as a as a number three. So I think that that's a good that's a good thing for us. And obviously brought in Zach Stefan and Liam Roberts um from Man City and Northampton. Two good goalkeepers as far as we've seen. Shipped out Joe Lumley um which
0: was the biggest uh, success in that department really
1: it was ever. it was a massive 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 success to get rid of Joe Lumley um and of course shipped out Zach Hemming and Solbrin as well to give them some valuable game time lower down the football pyramid um defensively Daryl lenahan brought in on a free transfer Ryan Giles brought in what an unbelievable bit of business Ryan Giles has been and God, we hope that will continue. Um, Tommy Smith came in in the defensive department as well. Matt Clark as a left-sided centre-half coming through the door. So I think in, in terms of numbers that uh, that are of the correct age and correct build for this Chris Wilder side, I think it's been a success. Didn't really lose anyone from that that department apart from... Bamber and Peltier and Neil Taylor, who all left upon the expiry of the contract at the end of last season. In midfield, we've seen a few changes. Of course, Marcus Tavernier's departure has been felt, but I think we were always going to lose one of of our bigger players this window, Um, although that's not very nice to say. I think it was always on the cards that we'd lose one at least. And in his place, we've seen Alex Moore. We have seen departure. Absolutely. Yeah, only more in midfield. Piero's departed as well. On loan. I doubt that we'll see him in the middles shirt again, which was unfortunate at the time. But I don't think I'm really feeling that fussed anymore, really. Um, and then, and then. Of course, in the forward department, one of the, the key areas last season where Middlesbrough have struggled, and that was scoring goals. And we've seen Andras Ferrar, Aaron Connolly, Flo Balligan, Josh Corburn. Any more names to, to go out the door um, at the expiry of loans? I think that's it. What more, of course, stayed. I don't think there was any more
0: exits from that department, Yes. Yeah but I think
1: you're right there Nathan yeah and then incomings of course Big Rodders who's been absolutely unbelievable since coming through the door um, Marcus Force who's one for the future I think haven't seen too much of him as of yet but has got on the score sheet and, and, and got that first middles per goal Matthew Hoppy, definitely one for the future brought in from Mallorca and have seen him featured for the under 23s a few times and he's scored his scored some goals down there for the youth team so I think is that everyone that I've gone through maybe more. um
0: no I, I think I think that is everyone in terms of obviously sort of you could argue it was like a new sign. I know it's a little bit cliche, but obviously everyone expected Tube out of going. Big of course, Tubes. But, uh made his big impact in the early part of the season, of course, unfortunately with his injury, but he'll be back in a few weeks, we hope. Um, and I, just one on the defence as well, obviously. Uh, I know in the last podcast, I thought the writing was on the wall for Dale Fry. Of course, he stayed and thank goodness for that. Um, I think in terms, in terms of quality, I do think, you know, we've, we've obviously improved, definitely. Um, with genuine starters and probably not an awful lot of money spent either, which is, you know, another positive. Um, but I look numerically and actually I said last night, um, I look at that midfield and I think if Johnny Housen does ever pick up a serious injury, which, I mean, was a slight concern uh, given that he went off against Watford, obviously, um, his sort of superhuman body fully recovered by the time we played Sunderland. But that midfield area for me still looks incredibly, incredibly weak in certain parts. I think we've mentioned it already. Um, Paddy McNair's viewed as the right-hand side at centre-half. He's not a midfielder. Um, He doesn't really offer an awful lot in midfield. That's my opinion. Um, So there was real hope from me that would sort of bulk up that area, um, given Housen's age, just to take a little bit of pressure off him, really. Um, I don't think he needs to be replaced in terms of a starter, but just someone that could come in and, and, you know, plug that gap if he does pick up a knock or he just, you know, once the sort of season gets into full swing and he's really feeling the effects of, you know, three games a week. Um, That wasn't addressed. And then the other one really was, you know, I've seen a few people say we've sort of got an abundance of strikers and we didn't need another one, but I always sort of felt that we'd get more of a marquee name through the door. Not necessarily a, a marquee name as such in terms of, oh, well, he's just a name and he's a big transfer fee but more so someone that you'd look at as a signing and think he will play week in week out i think mooness was obviously one of them strikers and you know given Wilder's comments about the the shirt numbers that needed to be filled and actually i think it ended up being uh, number 10 and number 11 which are still vacant so, I mean, that just proves that, you know, what Wilder wanted, he didn't get. Um, and, yeah, I, I don't want to go too sort of downbeat into it because obviously we're on a high from Sundlin, but I think we have got to be realistic and say that ultimately, if you look at the transfer window and statements that Chris Wilder has made, he didn't get what he wanted numerically, and he didn't get what he wanted in terms of those two more numbers that he wanted filled and yes yeah, okay there's been a few rumblings on about the free agent market but for me and i think obviously he wouldn't admit it now but prior to um, the end of the transfer window chris wilder would have said if we have to dip into the free agent market we've probably failed in the transfer window Um, in terms of the players that we... All of the players we wanted to bring in. Um, So, yeah, it it did leave a bit of a a bad taste, deadline day. Um, But, you know, we've managed to... I guess, if you want to look at it from a financial point of view, we've turned over some pretty decent profit, obviously, with the, the big sales of Jed Spence, of course, which I think everyone's sort of forgotten about, actually. And I think, actually... Tottenham and Antonio we were forgotten about him as well because he's I think rotten in the reserves or something like that these days. Um, So yeah that was another big exit but there is some sort of related transfer news that may be a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel um, in terms of that numerical uh, number that I'm talking about. And that is rumoured to be, we should uh, sort of say. But, you know, he's up to his um, Rodrigo Munez sort of tricks. Uh, Massimo Luongo, of course, left Sheffield Wednesday at the back end of last season. Free agent, had been training with Reading, I believe. But I think through their problems of actually getting deals over the line and um, their financial problems, that sort of hasn't been tied up. And from sort of whispers and a bit of a mix of social media activity, that sort of thing, um, it seems as though Massimo Luongo may either be on trial or may, just be training to build up his fitness and uh, he will be eventually offered a deal we've got no sort of official confirmation but I think it's one of those where everyone actually realizes what's happening but it's just not being confirmed yet so finally getting back to you Nathan because I felt like I just went off on a one about the transfer window there um I'll ask you firstly about Luongo and once you've spoken about another Aussie potentially joining the Borough, uh, your favourite signing of the transfer window?
1: So with Luongo, I think it's a body in midfield. Um, as you've spoken about there, it, it'll just relieve some of the, the the weight and pressure off Johnny Elson's shoulders in that position. Um, every time I've seen Luongo, he looks to be... That, that's sort of just a steady six, seven out of ten every single week. Likes to break up, play and just give it easy. Nothing more, nothing less than that, really. Just just a comfortable player in this division that does the simple things well and doesn't try and overcomplicate things. Um, also loves a yellow card, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. And and another actually, player in midfield for that.
0: Yeah, one one thing that did shock me, just looking over the past few days, um, a little bit more into him. Well, firstly, we should say he played in League One last season and Sheffield Wednesday fans are all um, and were all really disappointed that they couldn't tie him down and keep him. I think he had aspirations to play higher up, um, especially with obviously the World Cup um, coming up from an Australian point of view, and um, but also that he's only 29. I was I was convinced that Luongo was a lot older than that. I thought he was you know into his thirties, and I hope I have got that right. But I'm almost positive. Um, yeah, 29 years of age, which looks to me like you are checking now on Wikipedia or on your phone. Um-
1: yeah, uh, Massimo Luongo, twenty nine.
0: Yeah, so I should have had more confidence in my shell, in myself. in myself, shouldn't I? <laughs> I, I? I knew he was. I just, I don't know. I, I doubted myself for a second there. But anyway, um, twenty nine years of age. It, I mean, it's just an extra positive, isn't it? Age is on his side. It's not like we're bringing in a thirty-seven-year-old sort of clogger that's just going to play about 10 minutes at the end of games, you know, if, if something did happen to house and God forbid, you look at his pedigree and you think, well, in fairness, there's probably an awful lot of championship clubs that have looked at Luongo as a free transfer and thought, well, he could actually add to our squad. It's not just a sign in for the sake of it. So obviously we await more of a concrete update on that. But I think if we can get that Done and, and sort of sorted. I I actually really quite pleased with the signing. To be
1: honest, yeah, it looks to be a decent signing. That's that shocked me as well that he is only twenty nine. I thought he was a bit older than that. Um, feels like he's been around around the championship for for many years uh, now. Of course, being at QPR a few years ago, and then Sheffield Wednesday in the championship as well, but. Yeah, we'll have to wait more of confirmation if that is a deal that is on uh, or not. I mean, we waited for about a year for Rodrigo Muniz to come through the door with his links just being social media activity. But we'll have to wait and see. With Luongo being a free agent, there is probably a little bit more in that. So, yeah, it'll be a good body in the door. And will certainly be a, a, a player to to strengthen the numbers in the squad as well as the quality that this squad already has.
0: Yeah, definitely. And obviously just back to that second question that I did drop on you. You've had a little bit of time to think about it. Uh your signing of uh the summer Nathan I need to think about it whilst you answer, I'll be honest. But um, yeah where you go with that
1: uh, I think as much as I love the Brazilian uh, well I can't even find words to describe him Brazilian just he's very similar to to R9 Ronaldo isn't he our, our Rodrigo so I think we'll just call him Ronaldo up front um, I think there's as much as I love him I think it's got to be Ryan Giles Giles, since he's come through the door, has just been absolutely unbelievable and everything that we hoped he would be in terms of providing us with some balance over both sides, both wings. Last year, it it was becoming an issue towards the end of the season that we were too easy to work out and it was just pass the ball to Jones and hope that he'd beat his man and cross the ball in the box but now it's passed the ball to Jones or Giles and we'll cross the ball in to Rodrigo in the box who makes himself a handful. McGree breaking in there as well. So it's added a a, a different outlet for us and the quality of his delivery pretty much every single time it's on the money and, we haven't even got on to Sunderland as of yet. But again, last night, another assist, another tick in the assist box for Ryan Giles. So for that for that reason, it's got to be Gilesy.
0: Yeah. Um, and I think an awful lot of, of Middlesbrough fans would agree with you, to be honest. Um, I mean that man could could pick out just about anything in the world with that left foot. Um, And I say that with complete confidence. It's not even a tongue in cheek. Honestly, if you said to Ryan Giles, he has a football, cross a ball and hit a target of anything (coughs) you want, he would, without doubt, hit it. I'm saying eight times out of 10, probably even nine times out of 10. Uh, And as you say, it was such, such a key addition because of the fact that we over-relied on our right-hand side so, so much last year. And I think, to be honest, it affected Jones towards the back end of last season because the team started to double up on him. He knew exactly what our game plan was. Um, and we just needed to loosen him up but also have that threat. And, you know, I don't, as you say, I, I think it's one of the sign-ins, probably rare signings, you could put it into that category, where even when he signed, and I'm talking in a realistic sense here, you know, you can't say, well, you could have had Andy Robertson. That left wing back position, if you'd have said at the start of the summer, a left wing back, we can sign anyone you like, within reason, who would you sign? I think most people probably would have said Ryan Giles. And he just seems a perfect, perfect fit um, in the Chris Wilder system. And he just, he really does love it. And of course, through Ryan Giles, we also had the introduction of Mungo's mum on Twitter, who's become a bit of a cult figure as well. Um, so I mean, there's that in it. Um, in terms of my signing of the summer, Nathan, I think you already know. Um, (laughs) arguably and don't get me wrong this is not me saying he hasn't been terrific but had it have not been this specific player and the storyline behind him I would have picked Giles but because of there you go you already know raising the flag behind you you know the background on Zoom is slightly actually like blurred out but of course you can't work that out it is a Brazil flag that Nathan's holding up (laughs) Um, because of the storyline, because of the heartache last year of getting updates from, I can't even remember the name of the journalist in Brazil that just crushed my heart at about three o'clock in the morning last year saying he's off to Fulham. And just bizarrely looking on Twitter around about the time of when Love Island was still on the telly, checking the notifications on Boropolis and someone pointing out, despite not being linked all summer that Rodrigo Munez had liked Middlesbrough's away kit reveal and just thinking it's on, it's on again. And I'm not, at that point, I wasn't even sure I was ready for another saga, but I, God, I wanted it to happen. And the fact it's over the line and the fact that he's not only bags on his full debut, and also just runs around with a constant smile on his face. And another one is got a remarkable jump on him, as we'll get to It's got to be Big Rodders, hasn't it? It has to be. Bit, I, I, I sort of said that I'd die on the hill and built it up that, you know, even if he was bad, that I'd still back him. But the fact he's putting in the performances, that he is pretty much playing by himself at the moment as a striker. I'm I'm actually out of words to just describe how happy I am that he's finally here. Of course, Rodrigo Munez is my signing of the summer, Nathan.
1: Somewhere in the box he's scoring... Boys adore him, Rodrigo Muniz God
0: I love that man with all my heart Pro- probably
1: a- too much actually if that yeah a little bit a little bit too much Lo- never fall in love with a lone player
0: well I mean we've it's always the case that don't fall in love with lone players uh, lone players rather i two of them already everyone's head over heels you've gone past the stage of sort of trying to, you know, play it off that you're not that bothered. Um, in relationship terms, you text them every 30 seconds just saying, honestly, I love your pieces. <laughs> um, they're actually getting a little bit sick of you saying, sort of, this is getting possibly too much. And, yeah, Rodas and, and and Ryan Giles have... Uh, well, I mean, they've already set up a potential heartbreak at the end of the season if if that if both signings don't um, end up being permanent ones. But we're not even going to get drawn into that because it'll just make me upset. Um, God, I love the pair of them. Nathan, just talk about anything you like, whilst I just really think more about how much I love both of
1: them. It it just sort of gives me the um, the feeling that there's going to be a lot of replies or tweets in the next, well, 12 months or so that are just that Rio Ferdinand clip. Get the contract out and give them whatever they want. Whatever they want, get the contract out and give them it. Because so far, I mean, it is early, but so far the pair of them, a showing why they were brought to the football club in the first place they've both been fantastic so far and well long may that continue and well we we need to get on to talk about last night because both those players played a massive part and we, we've been talking for a good half an hour 40 minutes now and this is the part that we really wanted to talk about the most so let's get into. Middlesbrough one, Sunderland, nil pois.
0: Yeah, going home empty-handed. No cheesy chips for the Mackhams on the way home. <laughs> and, God, what a night it was.
1: It was, it was, it was a day that was nervy, I think, um Sunderland fans don't care about us. That's fine. They don't need to care about us. I think we probably do care more about the game than they do. But that's because we know it's comfy three points pretty much every every time we've played them in the last 10 years. So, yes, it was, it was nervy building up to kick off. 30,000 inside the Riverside, ready to watch Chris Wilder against... A former Middlesbrough manager and a massive Middlesbrough legend. Tony Mowbray, who took the Sunderland job last week, after Alex Neal uh did did a did a runner from the Macams, which was quite funny. But Tony Mowbray in the opposition dugout. A lot was made of his, his record against Middlesbrough in the build-ups of the game, saying how good his record is. Um but there's, there's no bad blood there. I think everyone everyone loves Tony Mowbray. And yeah, it it was built to be a really, really good game. Um, under the lights on a Monday night at the Riverside, it felt like the weekend lasted forever as well, going into this game. And with 15 minutes before kickoff, to hear the PA system turned off and just let the riverside build up its own atmosphere. It just, it just set the night off, didn't it? I think, um, how loud it was before the game, everyone just in unison, getting behind the team and making just a a massive wave of noise before kickoff. It, It set the tone, didn't it?
0: Yeah, it did. Um, and I've got to say, you said that the weekend felt like it took forever to eventually get past the actual, probably, hour before kickoff felt like about two days for me. So, honestly, I mean, you said it last week, didn't you? I think I'm maybe one of the most pessimistic Middlesbrough fans. Possibly for my age, because obviously... Probably all the fans that have seen Middlesbrough throughout the years and just sort of come to expect these things which happen. But um yeah, it 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 was brilliant, but also terrifying as the atmosphere built. And as you say, credit credit to and I'm I'm going to pull his name up quickly because the stadium announcer,
1: John Foster.
0: John Foster, there you are, Nathan. Didn't even need to pull it up on my phone. Um, has been criticised in the past for actually sort of drowning out the atmosphere before games. But in fairness, took um, suggestions on board. There was no music um, prior prior to obviously the, the teams coming out. And it just built the stadium up, built the atmosphere up. In fairness to Sunderland, I've got to say, they played their part in it as well but an even bigger sort of round of applause to red faction because they've sort of turned the south stand in a, well just a a larger version really of, of of red faction they are of course the the real major contributors to the atmosphere and actually just i, I think you know, obviously the Tottenham game was was massive. The Sunderland game last night was obviously brilliant as well. But just as a whole, I think the atmosphere in the Riverside over the past year has improved so so much, and the the credit that they deserve for building that, and obviously the display before kick off as well. Um, it was excellent. So fair. Before we even start talking about what happened, in the game, I just thought that had to be said because for me, of course it was really special last night, but that the atmosphere in the riverside has just massively improved over the over the past year and I'm all for it again, Nathan
1: yeah, it makes it much nicer going at the game and the being that atmosphere doesn't it um just loud singing and just, just a bit of something from the crowd, really. Um, yeah, it was built up fantastically yesterday, and before kick off with the, with the banner as well. I mean, speaks for itself, doesn't it? We'll get on. With it. We'll get on at the game.
0: Yeah, let's let's do it, Nathan. Let's talk about it. So actually, early on in the game, the best or rather, well actually no, best chance of the first half, of course we do take the lead in the first half, the best chance early on in the half, drops to Alex Pritchard inside the Borough Box, when in fact Middlesbrough had had an okay start, you know, Sunderland was showing signs, obviously we should say um, that, you know, one of Sunderland's main threats, if not, their biggest threat ross stewart drops out in the warm-up so that was obviously one bonus but patrick roberts come in and obviously being the pessimist i am i was convinced that he was going to turn into Messi across the 90 minutes um so he gives you a different sort of threat of of being you know nippy we all know Patrick roberts and given his time at middlesbrough tries to really execute them them really delicate passes and I thought him and, and Pritchard started off quite lively. Obviously, Ellis Sims is a, a massive unit. And in fairness to him, I thought, give Dale Fry a really difficult time in the first half. Um, but as I say, back to that Pritchard chance, uh, the ball breaks to him unmarked in the box, probably eight yards out, nine yards out. And he just tries to whip it in the far corner, past Liam Roberts. And it goes over the bar. I mean, a real let-off, actually, for Middlesbrough, in fairness.
1: An absolute sitter. Um, very early on in the game. I think it was about six minutes on the clock. And, yeah, the get was turned. And Clark makes a bit of a hash of it uh, under pressure from Roberts. Roberts wins the ball off him. Knocks it into Sims. Pritchard's breaking from deep. Sims just knocks it off into Pritchard's run and he could have had...
0: He could have took a touch, couldn't he?
1: He could have took a touch. He could have done whatever he liked because he had about five yards of space around him with no man tracking him and thankfully for Middlesbrough, he's he's whipped it over the crossbar when he had the full goal to aim at and I think it's probably just got the better of him early on. That he's thought, "Oh my God, I'm I'm in. I've got I've got that big chance."
0: I think it took him by surprise. Yeah, I think. was yeah.
1: That one. Um, so, yeah, it it was a a very big let off so early on, and if this if this score that it kills the crowd, it kills the atmosphere that we've just talked about there, and it changes the game, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, completely. Obviously had that chance of gone in it would would have spun the game on its head and obviously I think more importantly really sort of shut the crowd up quite quickly which is obviously what Sunlin would have been hoping to do. Um, From that point actually I thought it did change the game a little bit Um, I think it probably made us switch on a little bit at the back Um, you know given that I suppose you know when you prepare all week and you know you're going to be playing against you know a Ross Stewart and an Ellis Sims it, it shouldn't be underestimated the sort of mental change in the mental sort of challenge of all of a sudden thinking well I'm going to have to you know adapt my game a little bit you know Dale Fry I think he probably would have relished coming up against a more physical presence in Stewart uh, as opposed to a Patrick Roberts that's you know happy to drop in the pockets and 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 really sort of try and drag Middlesbrough back line around in places that they don't want to be. <laughs> um, so you know credit to us once that Pritchard chance had gone was um, dear me Nathan. I just want to get on a Riley McGree's goal. Um, credit to our back line for really getting themselves you know back into shape and, and dealing with that uh, challenge. Um, let's talk about it, Nathan. Ryan Giles obviously involved again that left foot, the wand, we're going to call it. He needs to trademark that, just the wand. um, Delivers an inch perfect. You know, I think you can call it a cross, but actually at this stage, I think they're just passes from Ryan Giles because they are as accurate as him saying, I'm going to pass the ball to this striker and he can then do whatever he likes with the ball. Um wonderful again from Giles from the left. And uh and then we get the, the moment of the night, Nathan.
1: You do uh Giles crosses that ball in and McGree. It's all about the touch. The touch with his right foot sets him through in between 0-9, and who was the central centre half for Sunderland? I can't remember. Um uh, Danny Bart, yeah, of course, ex Middlesbrough again. There was a lot of ex Middlesbrough in that Sunderland side last night. Um, yeah, the, the touch from McGree on his right foot takes it in between 09 and Danny Bart. And as McGree said in his his post match interview, he thought he had a lot more time on the ball to pick when he was going to shoot than he actually did. 09 is quite unfortunate, really. Um, As he gets back, flicks a toe at the ball, but McGree's already pulled the trigger and he's almost prodded the ball forward for McGree to shoot. And yeah, it's slotted nicely in between the legs of Anthony Patterson and it's set Middlesbrough up 1-0. McGree wheels away towards that away end giving them what for. Just, oh, sorry, I've I've scored. And the the leap, the leap that we we mentioned earlier on in the podcast, Rodrigo Muniz flying after Riley McGree, just puts his hands on his shoulders and leapfrogs him. Uh, I don't know how tall Riley McGree is, but he must be touching six foot.
0: Uh, Um, Riley Riley McGree is... I think it would be fair to say I don't think he's six foot. In fact, he's definitely not six foot, but he's your average height of a male in the in the UK. <laughs> Let's just say that. And and Rodrigo, Rodders has leapfrogged him. And to be honest, if you'd have stuck another Riley McGree on top of Riley McGree's shoulders, I think Rodders would have leapfrogged that as well. <laughs> How has he got that high? Seriously. I didn't even notice it at first. I saw it in the, the when they were showing the goal back at half-time and I just thought, that is outrageous how high he's jumped.
1: Yeah, I mean, just <coughs> simply unbelievable from from Rodrigo. But, I, yeah, as you say, you didn't see it as it happened. I didn't see it as it happened. I was too busy just going absolutely berserk that we'd gone one nil up and yeah I thought we needed that early goal we needed the first goal of the night because in games like that that can always be tetchy you just have to sort of get that early goal and then you can not relax but relax slightly and yeah, we, we did have a few chances following that. That was probably McGree's second chance of the night. The first one was coming from, uh, across from Giles, that McGree was following up on half volley and he put over the crossbar. Probably felt that he should score that one. Didn't. He definitely should have scored the one that he did score. And... Were, by God, we're happy that he didn't finish that one.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, Just uh, another moment in a long line of continuous moments against Sunderland over the past decade, really, that is going to be remembered for an awful long time, to be honest, because obviously there'd been that gap from the last time that we played them. And for us to take the lead, I think it was not only a massive celebration, whenever you take the lead against Sunderland, it's going to be a massive celebration, but also a bit of a sigh of relief, actually, because obviously with the the disappointment of deadline day and the, the disappointment of the late um, goal at, at Watford, I think it just meant that, that little bit more. And actually, Wilder said after the game that, OK, yeah, Middlesbrough-Sunderland's always going to be a, a massive game, but it actually added to it, because of sort of the start of the season, the inconsistency that we've had, it probably built it up to to bigger than it already was. And to take the lead, for Riley to give it the sort of, sorry, everyone, I've just scored against you, ironically, um, to the Sunderland fans. And the leapfrog, it was just, it it was almost virgin on perfect, to be honest. All it needed was possibly a crooksy finger at the mouth to the Sunderland fans. Um, which is always risky, isn't it? So early on in the game, they can always come back home to haunt you. Um but yeah, a, a, a great a great moment and a, a, a vital, vital moment in terms of the game. Uh obviously Riley McGray actually, not so long after has a great chance to double Burroughs' lead and and get himself a brace. Um, Again, finds himself just inside the penalty area, I think. Um, Good work from the forward line. I think it's Jones that cuts it back. I may be wrong there. Um, But yeah, McGree finds himself with quite a bit of time, actually, on the edge of the box and opts to try and sort of pass it really into the back of the net as opposed to to you know really putting his foot through it um, and it just doesn't quite get the angle on it to be honest and it was you know looking back especially having watched the highlights back about a million times it's actually a really good chance for, for McGre to get his second.
1: Yeah it was. Um, I think he had a lot of chances on the night. Uh, I think I think the one you're talking about—it's actually some work between Muniz, McGree, and Crooks all at the same time. Really, this one um,
0: from the right. So I just sort of went with Jones there.
1: Yeah, McGree wins it back uh, and, and flicks it into Muniz. Muniz holds off, holds off the defender. Knocks it back into McGree. McGree then plays it into Crooks, who's the furthest man forward, and then Crooks lays it off into McGree's path, just inside the box, and uh, he should take the net off. I think he's just gone with gone with the uh, the wrong sort of shot selection, if I'm honest, um, or at least. If if he's going with the inside of his foot, he has to he has to bend it outside that post and back in, rather than rather than just tucking it where he did, which was straight in the keeper's hands. But McGree did say after the game he probably should should have been going away with a match ball, and he probably should have been. The chances that he had in that first half were all very big chances, and. It would would have been nice to put the game to bed, but it wouldn't be typical Borough if we had done so. So we had to endure a second half of a lot of Sunderland possession. Um, Although Middlesbrough did have a fair few chances in that second half. Muniz with a header that was headed into the ground, saved by Patterson. It was pretty routine, straight at him. Duncan Watmore came off the bench for Riley McGree, and had a few chances himself. One, pretty much immediately after coming on, where he was played through and he sort of toe-ended it towards towards the goal. Oh, it, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, and it was pretty simple for, for Patterson to save again. And then good work uh, from Borough to clear the ball and go down the left-hand side. What more chase is it? drives inside, puts it onto that right foot, fires it through, through a body, and then Patterson saves it, and then you think the rebound's going to go in. But, no, it wasn't to be. Bora 1-0 up, and just having to, just having to stick it out, um, in those last, seven minutes, of injury time.
0: Yeah, seven minutes from, I know there's an awful lot of subs these days, of course, with the new rules, but, Seven minutes did feel a little bit excessive. I, I think you just wanted to sort of make the stadium sweat and chew the nails a little bit more, to be honest.
1: I think they just made make them up, don't they? They just make them up as they go along most of the time. There was there's two two injuries in that half, but not a whole lot else. Two injuries to Paddy McNair and Dennis Serkin from Sunderland, but definitely nothing warranted in seven minutes. They just, I swear, they just do it for TV. Yeah. Um, but Borough did stick it out. Sunderland didn't really threaten all too much in that second half. They um, had a lot of
0: possession, but sort of it equated to nothing really. And actually, a lot of that was probably down to Jack Clark's inability to... Cross it into the 18-yard box as opposed to, I mean, any place in the south stand really.
1: The corner flag. He was picking out the corner flag and and, and ins for the most part. Um, a bit of a shock really, considering how much in the build-up to the game, Sunderland fans were giving it giving it big and saying that Jack Clark was going to toast Isaiah Jones, but it was the other way around really. But we all knew that that was going to really happen um yeah sunderland i think the loss of stewart did affect them um a little bit um of course mowbray in his, his post match interview was was very very keen to 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 say how much that impacted them and oh we well we trained all week with stewart we didn't foresee that he'd somehow pull up in the warm-up but he did so and you can complain about it all you like, but they came to the Riverside. They had a lot of the ball. Didn't threaten Liam Roberts' goal all too much with it. And were eventually sent packing with zero points and zero goals scored, which was was quite thrilling from a Middlesbrough perspective. Sunderland coming up was was a little bit of a worry for me. Um, when when they when they won in the playoff final, I thought oh, we've got to play them again, and then to finally be there last night and have them back at the Riverside, and just just get that result over them when our start to the season hasn't been the best, as we all know, results haven't been falling for us.
0: They were they were going into the game. In better form, they yeah. The side going into the game, they've got more points. Um, still, they had more points, obviously, going into the game. They had two very informed players in Sims and Stewart, and even Clark. Um, but as you say, um, that all resulted in well, a big fat nothing for them, really.
1: Thrilling, isn't it? I mean. Yeah just to have them back, to have them all build it up in in the build-up to the game that, well, Sunderland are back. Sunderland are, are back in business now and to come to the Riverside and and, and leave with nothing. Uh, it's it's pretty nice, especially with the Tony Morbury factor, as we spoke about earlier, um, Tony Morbury coming here has a good record coming to the Riverside. And yeah, it was pleasing as much as we love Tony Mowbray to send him away with nothing. And just most of all, focusing on us to get a massive three points under the belt, um, to bounce back from conceding in the last minute against Watford, which will have been draining for the players to, to get that winner, to get that win. To get those three points, and to go into the next three games before the international break with a bit of confidence, it'll do them. It'll do them the world of good. And yeah, I think I think the fans are not not back on side because I don't think they ever were offside, but the fans are certainly behind them a lot more than they were. I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Like you say, I think you put it well in the fact that, you know, I I think it was a a long stretch um, from, you know, the crowd turning or anything like that, obviously, but there was a few, a handful of people starting to say, well, you know, if you look at the back end of last season and um, you look at even the start to this season, just as a, you know, as a standalone thing, results haven't been great. Um, And you know, what's so important now You know, it may be stating the obvious, but we just have to back it up now and go and get, you know, positive results and sort to, you know, really, okay, it's still early days, but climb up the table and sort of put ourselves in a position where we are going to be looking at and thinking, well, that's where we should be. That's, you know, without sort of overselling it, In a position where we sort of expected to be, and actually a lot of pundits also expected us to be. And I don't think that's you know asking too much given the squad that we do have. Okay, yeah, numerically we could do with a few more bodies, but you look throughout the team, and we have we have some really, really good championship players. Um just in terms of individual sort of um praise. I think there's two standouts for me in terms of performances from last night um, and I'm going to basically make you guess who they are just to make it interesting, really.
1: I, I don't think I need a guess. I think I'll just tell you. Go on, Liam Roberts as number one yeah, and Big Dalo as number two.
0: Well, ding, 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 Nathan. Both correct. Congratulations. <laughs> You've won absolutely nothing, <laughs> upon knowing my love for a Liam. A Liam Roberts punch. He loves he it. Absolutely lives for a punch, and we live for it. We we love the fact that if he's coming out, and okay, yes, he doesn't come and claim crosses all too often but if he's coming out he's punching that ball and he's not flapping at it he is taking he's taking the lever off it to be honest or whatever material that these championship balls are made of these days and you know in fairness to him he's come in okay yes he's been granted his his place in the team over the last few games because of an injury but he would have known as soon as Zach Stefan coming at the club that he was second choice, and through, okay, yes, a little bit of a shaky start um, in his cup debut, but since he's come in in the league, a lot of people have actually said he makes them feel, you know, really comfortable. He's pretty, you know, capable with the ball at his feet. He's he seems to instill a a little bit of confidence in the back line that, you know, if if the ball's going over my head, (laughs) Big Liam Roberts is coming and punching it and I might get a punch in the face, but he's punching the ball as well. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I think, uh, although he didn't have sort of that really big camera save or that really big moment in the game, he just felt convincing and confident. And actually now... Zach Stefan on loan from Manchester City or not? I think it would be really undeserved if Stefan walks back in the team and sort of just takes the number one spot again because I think it's I think it's probably Roberts to lose now.
1: It is, I think. Um, I think to come in and do as well as he has in terms of <clears throat> some of the saves he's made, although last night, as you say there wasn't all too many big saves to make. It was just being that commanding presence in the box, that that just being comfortable on the ball. And when he was pressed, he was just calm, was, was always sticking to the plan of, of passing it out from the back. And... One thing that really impressed me was his kicking, and and, and picking out the wing backs, uh, especially, and and even playing long balls in the Crooks and Muniz. They were they were both they were all nailed on pretty much every single time that our players would be favoured to win the ball when when pinged to them. So I was I was quite pleased with that, and I stayed right until the the very end last night, right until the last fan left the Riverside and to see the players walk around the pitch and see Liam Roberts doing pretty much his own lap of honour of the Riverside, go over to the north stand and give a massive fist pump. I live for it. And yeah, I think we all saw his his first interview for Middlesbrough Um, of course he was the first signing of the summer and to to come here two divisions above where he he played last season and to play for the biggest club that he's played for in his career so far you could see how much it meant to him and to play in a game last last night of, of that magnitude and with a full a full Riverside behind him I think he just loved it and embraced it and he was brilliant last night. Arguably man of the match. Although I think you're probably going to tell me that your other player is your man of the match.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think in fairness to Liam Roberts just pipped to that man of the match ward. It's a big deal. It's the big lighthouse. Come through adversity. I thought the writing was on the wall for him. And it Actually, Sims give him a real, real test in that first half. But second half, I think you're almost waiting to sort of burst out laughing as to how much pride and joy I've taken out of Dale Fry's performance. But I don't even mind Nathan. <laughs> he, he was, for me, he was back to his best last night. Obviously, again. You know, his chance comes through an injury to Daryl Lenihan comes back into the side. And, you know, I've seen a few Sunderland fans sort of saying Sims didn't offer a lot. I thought the complete opposite last night. I thought he was strong. I thought he was pacey. I thought he was a constant threat, giving good angles, trying to get him behind Dale Fry. But actually, Dale Fry made it look as though he wasn't offering that much. You yeah. Know, there was there was one moment where I thought, oh, I don't like the look of this at all. Sims sort of leans on him. is actually, I think, potentially nearly rounding into a position second half, quite late on in the game, where you think he's going to fire a shot off here, and somehow the big lighthouse manages to sort of almost backheel it somehow as a last ditch tackle, and I just thought. You know, if there was a few sort of moans and groans where he was a little bit under pressure and he, he clipped the ball long, but I, I honestly could not care less because he was so so solid. And actually, I think even more credit to him because he could have quite easily given that you know he was dragged off in two games to start off the season. He pretty much, without injury, lost his place in the team. He could have quite easily lost his confidence. In fact, he probably maybe did a little bit, you know, prior to coming into this game. It was a massive, massive night for Dale Fry. And I think he just completely met that test head-on. Um, and yeah, was my man of the match. Obviously, I was. I was just... Delighted! I'm a massive fan of Dale Fry, I always have been, and to see him sort of come through the test and really now, again, sort of cement his place back into the team was uh, was a, another real, just enjoyable moment from last night for me.
1: Stepped up, didn't he? He, he does this he says, time and time again against good centre-forwards. He's he's back-pocketed Ronaldo. He's back-pocketed Kane. He's back-pocketed Ellis Sims. I mean, I'm not putting Ellis Sims in in there.
0: I I don't think... The
1: same breath. I'm not giving Sunderland any sort of praise on this podcast. Um, But Dale Fry stepped up. Um, We spoke at, at length a few weeks ago. I think it was after Reading where Dale Fry played as the right-sided centre-half in the three, that that is not Dale Fry's position, and that it is plain and clear to see that he needs to be the middle man in that centre-half, back three. And that's where he found himself last night, and he put in a fantastic performance for a centre-half, just dominant Uh, uh, just i think that's just the word that sums him up dominant class coming out from the back okay he did have to go along a few times uh when when options weren't on but i don't mind it i'd rather him clear the ball and smash it into the west stand or in the east stand when he's under pressure um I'd rather that happen. I remember a Dale Fry moment a few, a good, good few years ago now where it was, it was at the touchline against Norwich at home under Tony Pulis. And instead of clearing the ball out for a throw and Dale Fry, tried to play on, was dispossessed by our favorite man, Cameron Jerome and James Madison whipped one in the top corner and we got beat one nil. And, just to see Dale clearing the ball, just as a proper centre-half should, just getting rid of it. No no danger. I'll ju- I just love that, just proper centre-half behaviour, just clearing the danger, but doing this, the things that a modern centre-half would do as well, uh, stepping out from the back, stepping into midfield at times and just being... A real colossus at the back and making, as you say, Sims look less of a threat than than he probably usually is against more, most other centre halves in the division. And that is because Dale Fry is one of the best centre halves in the second tier.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I do. Um and, um, you know, it's it's remarkable to think that we had that player sitting on the bench coming on to defend for the last two minutes of games um, previously. I hope, I really, really do hope. And, of course, I don't think Darren Lenihan is has, you know, been... A really, really bad addition of the team. I, I don't, but I just think in that central position, yes, okay. Wilders brought Lenahan in, and he's more comfortable on the ball. But in terms of a central defender that is going to win his tackles, win his headers, and just make it difficult to for the opposition to score, I think Dale Fry beats him every day. Um, and yeah, it was it was fantastic to see him back in the team and and doing what he does best Nathan um I mean we've we talked about Sunderland there some may argue not enough actually but is there any other talking points from last night that you want to go over before we do look ahead to that trip to the seaside
1: on Saturday um I don't think we actually mentioned what was on the banner apart from apart from the we just we just continue to prove that it is the case. And the banner red, borough, the pride of the northeast. And I mean the results just speak for themselves, don't they? Um they say, ten years ten years unbeaten against Sunderland now. But it's all right, they don't care. So it's all right.
0: Yeah, they, they don't care, and I think we should obviously make it clear that they they don't care that much, that they were willing to try and fight a family stand in the riverside. side. Um, so obviously, I mean, if you don't care about things, that's the sort of thing that you would try and do. Um, so, unfortunately, Sunderland, you're going to have to wait again for another chance to beat the borough. That may come this season it may not but for now at least we continue our bragging rights Um, so don't get too upset Sutherland fans Uh, Nathan moving on to a trip as I've just said to the seaside on Saturday you will be in attendance I don't think well at least I'd be very surprised if it tops last season's Game against Blackpool, but it's still a massive game. It's still going to be a massive following from Middlesbrough. It's going to be, you know, Blackpool away, isn't it? Really, what everyone sort of in the championship loves for what it is. Um, but a difficult game, in fairness.
1: It is, it is a difficult game. Um, Blackpool coming off the back of a very, 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 very fortunate win away at Huddersfield on Sunday afternoon. Um, For those that are listening to this podcast that don't know what I'm referring to, the goal line technology at the John Smith Stadium was not working. Uh, and And Huddersfield... Huddersfield... Scored an equaliser in that game. And, (laughs) I mean, it's miles over the line. Uh,
0: Keep us in the back of his net, pretty much with the ball in his arms. And somehow the referee's watch hasn't gone off. I don't know if the cost of living crisis has sort (laughs) of meant that the, the bills or the certain electric for that system or whatever system, you know, it, whichever way it's powered, that, that sort of had an effect. But, it, I mean, it, it has affected it because it hasn't worked, has it?
1: No, it hasn't worked. And it's been a funny old weekend in the world of football, just to go a little bit off topic. Um, and I think it's fair to say that we're just glad that is not in the championship. So, yes, we'll just have to deal with Hawkeye for now but hopefully it's working at bloomfield road on saturday um yeah borough travel to the seaside saturday afternoon to take on michael appleton's blackpool a difficult test away at bloomfield road it always is last year especially i felt like blackpool were a side that could just throw up any sort of result that they pleased um Of course, that was under Neil Critchley and now they're under the stewardship of Michael Appleton, who I know quite a lot about considering he was at Lincoln City and I'm at university at Lincoln. um, Guided Lincoln to the playoff final against Blackpool and was defeated there by Blackpool 2-1 in the final. And a year later, takes charge of Blackpool for the second time, although he's a Preston fan. Uh, as the tattoo on his chest confirms um quite a funny one that but there you go a little bit of an interesting factor for those podcast yeah. listeners
0: I, I didn't i didn't actually know that but i can imagine that does annoy quite a lot of blackpool fans
1: yeah i think it does um but yeah there, there's there's strange side blackpool um last year I didn't quite fancy them, but under Critchley, they performed really, really well with what they had. Um, of course, going into this season, the star man was the same as last, and that was Josh Bowler. But the deadline day moved to Nottingham Forest. And then Olympiacos has dealt Blackpool a massive blow, losing their star man on the right-hand side. Um and and being, well, irreplaceable for for Blackpool as well. Um, It helps us out a little bit uh, in terms of his creativity. He was comfortably Blackpool's best player, but they do have other dangers in that side. Um, Physical forwards, you look at Gary Medean, you look at Jerry Yates as well two difficult centre-forwards. Another good winger that was going around the block in League One last year was Theo Corbianu, who was at Sheffield Wednesday and then MK Dons in the second half of last season and has got the move up now uh, to the Championship, also on loan from Wolves. So hopefully, uh, not Isaiah Jones, Ryan Giles, another man on loan from Wolves, has Corbianu's number on Saturday afternoon, but it promises to be a, a good game. Um four thousand borough fans making the trip to that. It, it's a horrible stand at Blackpool, uh, alongside the pitch. Um an absolute nightmare to get in as it was last year. I hope it's less of a nightmare this year. Um but yes I'm 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 praying and hoping for for more scenes like there were at Bloomfield Road last year, because that was uh wow, what an evening that was,
0: yeah, I think for the <laughs> for the for most middlesbrough fans heart rates, we can't be doing that again, although <laughs> I think most people would uh would absolutely love for that to be the case again, uh just in terms of a, a formation point of view. They also, like most of the championship, tend to use a back five. Um, so there's somewhat of a matchup there in, in terms of wing backs. Um, and currently, they actually have picked up two more points than us. So sit higher than us in the league. Of course, yes, it's still early days. Um, but as you say, Nathan, there'll certainly be no pushovers. And. Um, like Blackpool always are, they you know, they're a little bit unpredictable. Um, but they've they, they have got some really good players, particularly even without Bowler still in them wide areas, of course. Um Ian Paveda from Leeds also joined them um last week. He was always a, a tricky customer on the wings. Um, but apart from that, Nathan, despite the fact we've talked about. Two disappointments if if we discuss uh if we sort of um well Watford was definitely a disappointment and I guess deadline day was as well. So yeah, two disappointments, but one huge positive in the Sunderland game, which of course outweighs that. Um it's been a it's been a very enjoyable podcast, actually.
1: It has been. We've been waiting to talk about Sunderland and to talk about a win is is massive as well. It always helps the mood, and the fact that it's against Sunderland's just that added added bonus. But going into the next week, Blackpool on Saturday, we need to start getting uh, and stringing wins together. Now um, we've only had two wins all season, and they've been. Um, sort of singular uh, on their own at this moment in time and it would be massively pleasing to go on a run now, three games to go before the first international break of the season and those games are Blackpool away of course and then two home games next week against Cardiff on Tuesday evening and Rotherham on the Saturday night football for all you Premier League fans that are going to be thrilled to watch Middlesbrough-Rotherham at eight o'clock on a Saturday night. Um, but three games there, three massive games now to go into this international break with us in a good position. I think that that's a a, a point in the season where you'd look at and think, is the league beginning to shape up in the way that we'd, we'd expect it to? And there's nine points on offer from now And if we can hopefully pull our fingers out and and go on a run and pick up a lot of those nine points, it'll stand us in good stead going into this first international break. So all eyes on Blackpool on Saturday and hopefully a fantastic weekend for all the T-siders that are travelling down there.
0: Yeah, it certainly will. I know there's already uh, a few late calls to try and get tickets. So just quickly, we should say, we've got a thread, a post on Twitter um, that we've sent out to try and potentially get a few people sorted with last minute tickets, basically a chance to sort of put your requests in there as well. So if anyone is listening or watching, and he's trying to get hold of one, then that might be a good place to, to hopefully uh, do that. So do get that out. But from me, Nathan, after three points against Sunderland, that has been another episode of the Baropolis podcast. Thank you ever so much for watching and listening. As usual, do subscribe, do leave nice reviews on all audio platforms. And thanks ever so much again. We will see you next week. Cora, foré, foré, foré!